Hey everyone, this is Sam, better known as That Girl with the Curls, and I'm recording this just to kind of give you a heads up that the first 14 episodes are essentially, they were previously recorded for the website Word of the Nerd that I used to write for. And as I am no longer a writer for that website, I decided to take my podcast with me uh, to my own website, The Maniacal Geek, and uh, use this as my forum for interviewing people and whatnot and saying things that I want to say, which, you know, hopefully this introduction is getting that across. If not, I apologize. So uh, you will hear this on every recording for the first 14. After that, they will be different recordings, uh, just kind of, you know, intros basically to whomever's on the podcast. So if you're hearing this for the umpteenth time, please skip ahead. Uh, if not, uh, just enjoy the rest of the show, and I hope you keep listening and come back for more. All right, thank you so much, and uh, have fun with this episode. to uh, the writer of such wonderful books as uh, Green Wake, The Intrepids, Peter Panzerfest, and Rat Queens. Welcome to the show, Curtis uh, Weeb. Curtis, say hi. Hey, everybody. How's it going? I love how we always make guests say hi. Like, <laughs> say hi. Like, dance, monkey, now. dance. Damn. Right. I'm, like, I'm, I'm a writer. I'm used to being treated like a dog, so it's all good. Aww. <laughs> Like, go here, talk to these fans, make like you're happy. You know, that doesn't bode well. I, I told my, um, my so the group of people that I manage at my job today, I was like, you know, as a fun exercise in November, we're all going to be participate in, um, you know, novel writing month. And they all looked at me kind of funny. And now I feel as though I may have just called them all dogs. I don't know if that is appropriate. HR might take issue with that. You will write a novel. I swear to God. So I tried to do that, and I got about 5,000 words in and realized that real life prevented me from doing anything. <laughs> so uh, I've, I've, I've written one novel, and I will never do it again. So, <laughs> so what was it about? Uh, it's, uh, I don't know. It's like a modern, fa- it's a modern fantasy story about an alcoholic uh, PI. You know, it's pretty classic fantasy noir, you know. Oh, cool. Yeah, we like that kind of stuff here. Yeah, there's a little. Uh, that was a, an unexpected plug. You can go to my website and buy it. Then there we go. <laughs> there you go. See? Unexpected plugs, yay! Yeah. <laughs> oh, speaking of modern fantasy, perfect segue into one of your books. Oh my god, uh, it's so well yeah. done. Santa's a segue. There we go. There's the song. We normally have a song where um, anytime JP does a segue on DC Confidential, I do a song that's JP does a segue. Way. Um, it's better when it comes from her. Well, I just have a higher pitched voice when I'm singing. So. It's like a musical podcast, apparently. One day we will write a musical and it will be a <laughs> podcast. No, no. The musical I want to write, write has already been written. It's called Book of Mormon and we can't do it all over again. Who says yeah, that that's true. That's true. <laughs> um, but uh, back on track a little bit. Uh, so. I actually did want to start with Rat Queens because I read the the sixth issue, the start of the new arc, and holy shit! <laughs> that last page, I'm not going to spoil it, but that last page, Chris. Yeah, I know, it's gross. 
I, I actually, I, I told, now, there's this thing that, that was the inspiration for that. Now, have either of you heard of something called trypophobia? No. Okay, well, you can go ahead and you can <laughs> Google that right now and you can do an image search and you'll understand the origin of what trypophobia is. For me, anyway, some people, apparently 10 to 15% of people have, it's an aversion and it's an aversion to clusters of holes. That's what the technical term is. But it's it's hard to explain until you see pictures of it. But anyway, so when I was doing the the script, I basically told Rock that um, you know that scene that you see there that I wanted. It's it, again, it's hard for me to talk without spoiling it. But there's something that happens to one of the characters' eyes that is something that you see in pictures of trypophobia. Mm. And I told him I told him to Google it. So he, he took it and made it much, much worse. And it's funny because uh, whenever I see any kind of like it, uh, whatever triggers my trypophobia, it can be a, a many different things. But um, I get itchy all over, like my entire body gets itchy. And I actually oh. was itching for hours when I was editing the final, like, the final uh, PDF that we were sending out to print. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was itching and itching and itching for the entire oh night. God. So. I, I can't even look at that actually uh, without getting like really queasy. So it's, it it really bothers me that that final page. It's it's one of those things where it's just like you can't you can't unsee it anymore. Like I have, <laughs> it really is like I have certain things where like once I've watched it and it's if it's made such an impact, it's hard for me to let it go for like days. Um, like I don't know. Have you ever watched um, Full Metal Alchemist, like the anime? No. Okay, so that, that doesn't really matter. But there's a a part where they they can create like amalgam creatures at one point, and it's like a dog and a little girl, and it's dying, and then they destroy it, and it's just like seared itself into my brain for years. Like I every Jesus. once in a while, oh, it's so awful. Don't ever watch it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um I can oh. just tell you right now. Um, but yeah, like that, that image at the end of, of issue six is, is one of those that will probably stick with me for a while. <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm not going to, and I, I got so mad, it's weird because Rock has the <laughs> Rock also has trypophobia, so we were both just grossed out, and he said he was like ill while he was illustrating it, it was, and then we were like, why did we do that? Like, what was the point? <laughs> it wasn't necessary. It's like, oh, that was so unnecessary, oh. Yeah. Oh, but it's a it's a really good issue, and um, I, I I reviewed it for the site, so it should be up by the time this drops. It'll already have been up. But um, as I as I often do, I am the go to Rat Queens reviewer. So, uh, and oh, I will say, we appreciate it's a, it. It's a great. I mean, I've I've tried to push that book into as many people's hands as possible. Um, the uh, Assassin Sorcery, which is the um, the first arc, uh, just. I mean, from the minute it came out, it was just kind of like, oh, this is a book I want to read forever and want a movie and all the things. I want all the things, Curtis. Well, I appreciate it. It's much appreciated. <laughs> I mean, and- yeah, you know, it's a weird, it's a thing that like, um, you know, coming into this into the sixth issue, I've been. Um, there's been a lot, it's okay, it's weird to, to kind of say this, but there's been so much really, really positive, not just fan reaction, but critical react, like critical praise for the book. 
the, fir- the first arc was like really highly rated and you know there was so much positive stuff coming out about it that when I went to write the sixth issue I, I actually was I had a bit of a panic attack because I was like this how am I supposed to live up to that like I you know there was, <laughs> We were, we were like, you know, I had like all, all probably some of the best jokes were all in that first arc, and th- there was so much of it there that I was like, I don't know if I can actually follow this up with any quality. So it was, uh, I actually had this conversation with Rock where, and, and then actually Jim Valentino, my, my publisher as well, I just, yeah, I just, uh, I didn't know what to do. I was like, I don't think I can do it. And then Jim Valentino, he emailed me back. He's like, you know what, you're... You're always going to have that fear. You're always going to want to be doing better than you did before. You just have to write it and get it done. And so anyway, I did, and I'm still I'm still nervous leading into it. But I've I've seen a few people. There's been a few reviews already that are really positive, and uh, people that I know that I've sent it to that I trust for you know positive feedback. They've also given me a lot of um, a lot of uh, good reception to it. So I, I think I'm just worrying for nothing. But I don't know. I just always want to push myself so that that quality stays there, um, you know, throughout the entire run of the series. So you're talking to two people who are huge perfectionists and, and everything. And speaking to someone who is deal, who deals with their own anxiety issues, I totally understand. Well, you know, and that, that's a good point. I, be, I, I would think that because this is not your first book. Um, do you find that the better a book does, almost the more pressure there is or is it more like a book that maybe doesn't get as much readership or praise is like your does that make you more stressful like is success a stressor or is it just that constant need to to push stuff out and you so just get busy in the work um i don't know it's it's tough to say. I mean, obviously, Rat Queens is my most successful book. Uh, you know, Peter Panzerfaust did fairly well, but it just it doesn't have the same kind of traction. Uh, not yet, anyways. I, I feel like there's gonna be some kind of weird crossover where people have read Rat Queens and want to know what else I've done and, and are picking up Peter Panzerfaust. That seems to be happening a little bit. Um, but well, it, there's so many ancillary things going on with Peter that I think it'll it'll bring more and more attention to it. Yeah, exactly. And then and then just the fact that we already have, you know, by the end of the summer, we'll have four trade paperbacks, like people can go and get caught up, you know, uh, and it's nice to have that kind of library already for them to go to. It's not just like, you know, with Rat Queens, it's, it's great because so many people went and bought the trade, but then it's like, they're done, you know, that, that trade is all we have out so far. So, um but anyway, luckily our our new issues coming out pretty close after it's released. But as, anyway, as far as like the the stress level, I don't know. It's this thing. I, I did an interview recently. People asked someone asked me about uh, you know the fan response and, and what it's meant to me and everything. And it's kind of changed my like the way the fans feel about Rack Queens. And it's not like anything else I've experienced before. Like uh, how to explain it? it? The fans. We've had messages from people that have been very personal. Um, that have gone to far as you know, so far as say is like, you know, this this book has has given me confidence. I see the way you draw these characters, and I feel confident about who I am because of this comic series. And you know, another one was like, I haven't bought a, a swimsuit in like 15 years, and I went out and bought one because I have that confidence now. And it's like that kind of stuff 
you can't you can't really like, even if I was getting negative reviews, how can I not be inspired by that kind of reaction to know that I'm helping people on a personal level just by making these people as real and as relatable as possible. So there's this other side where I look at it and I'm the critical stuff is really nice and and obviously I want the fans to be happy, but there's also this thing where I'm really starting to realize that I want to write it so that it's something that I'm satisfied with and that I feel good about. And um, that's kind of how I'm trying to judge the the series now is, is to do the best possible job with these characters as possible. And then, you know, with my, with my other comics, so obviously, you know, I've, I've done quite a few other ones, like you mentioned, and they were, that was, I wasn't really a very known name then. Um, but then you're trying to prove yourself. I would say that's probably a bit more daunting. You know, if you're just trying to get somebody to read your books and you have, you're competing with the big names in the industry. So there's this huge pressure to like, get your name out there and market and do a really fantastic book and keep it on time. And, uh, you know, I found that was probably a bit more uh, stressful on me. And, and now I'm in a place where I can just, I feel like I can write what I want to write and just, I feel more confident, I guess. And I'm also older and, and I've gone through shit. So, you know, you learn along the way. And, uh, I've gone through shit. Now I'm ready. <laughs> that should just be like tattooed on someone's arm. Like, look, I've gone through shit. Like, yeah. Uh, and I mean, as a and as a female reader and a female fan, obviously of the book. I mean, and it, Rat Queens does tend to skew more female fans, which isn't a bad thing at all. Um, it it does it does my heart good to see something like that, you know, out there. I was t- when we talked to Rock and Tyler. Um, I was telling Rock like how much I appreciated the way he draws the Rat Queens. Yeah. The the fact that they're mostly full figured women, they have curves. Like it isn't. Uh, I mean, I know that's more Rock style as well, but that there's like just obvious that the, there's presence to them instead of like these waifs that you feel like you could you know smack down if you blew on them hard enough. You know. Right. Um, yeah, and that was always something. I mean, that was. You know, if, if you look back at a lot of my writing, even my earlier series, there are quite a few female leads in them, and it wasn't, it's not something that it's been like, I am going to write strong female characters. It was never like that. It just seemed to fit to my writing style um, a lot more. And then with, with this, it was like, I've always kind of wanted to do an all-female team book, and if you go back far enough, you can see that my very, very first comic I ever did was called Beautiful Creatures, when it was a four-girl team book, mm-hmm. uh, which I, I've said in a, in a few places that I felt like it was a precursor to what I did with Rat Queens. I just did not have the skill at the time that I needed. Like, if I were to write... If, if I'd have written Rat Queens back then, it would have been a complete piece of shit. Like, it would have been terrible. <laughs> like, the, it just just would not have worked. Um but it was where, like, you know, I, I had that idea, and I always wanted to do a book like that where I felt the people were really relatable, um, that they talk like we do. And so it, it's taking the idea of a fantasy story, and, I, you know, I like the genre. I'm, I'm a fan of the genre and film and, and comics and stuff like that. But I just kind of get tired of uh, the way people talk in old English. Like, it's always European. It's always this old European 
uh, like way of speaking and, and mindset. It's it's people haven't really broken out of that too much. And uh, kind of like the Lord so I, of the Rings high talk, where it's like, yeah. you must go to this place over here. And, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and of course, like they do, they all have. You know, they all have, like, English accents, and it's like, well, I don't necessarily... I had this question, someone asked me, what voice do you hear in your head when when you're writing the girls? And, you know, someone said, well, they made their assumptions. I asked them what they heard, and, of course, it was like Violet had, like, this Scottish accent, and Hannah was, like, this kind of uptight British person, and I was like, I actually just hear them like with North American accents, <laughs> you know, I, like, it, I was going to say, like, I do too, like with Hannah, especially I hear, I just hear like, it's all, I mean, I'm not even going to lie. It's my voice. It's just me shouting at people because <laughs> <laughs> I, I do identify with Hannah in terms of attitude the most. And, but I do D's, uh, antisocial kind of behavior is very, um, close to home. Right. <laughs> so Curtis, you, you know, you said, I know we all learn as we go and things like that, but as from when you wrote Beautiful Creatures to where you wrote to now writing Rat Queens, what's the biggest change? Like, what's the what's the one thing that, like, if you could go back and tell yourself when you were writing that, no, you need to do this, um, and it'll make everything go easier for you. What would what would it be? What's the biggest thing you've learned? Uh, leave my wife sooner. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this has been Rodney Dangerfield, Channel Three. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, there's an element of truth to that, but uh, I, it's probably just the timing. Like that's the, the one of the most important things in comics is timing and pacing. Um, just learning how to use your pages and your paneling to set jokes up and then have them pay off. Uh, that was a big lesson that I had to learn. So I would say that was probably the most important thing. And then also uh, allowing the artist, I think, uh, to, you know, when I was doing that book, I didn't, it was kind of a, an action comedy as well, but I was really taking a lot of, a lot of the, the, the storytelling, not the storytelling, but the, the comedy away from the artist and where I would always hit the joke home with dialogue. And that's something with Rock that I've really learned even recently to like, just let him hit so much of the comedy. Um, there is if an issue, the very first issue, there is a sequence where uh, Hannah basically says that, you know, smidgens breed a lot. And uh, Betty says that line of we like putting things or pushing things out of our bodies, like as much as we like putting things in. And originally, originally Violet said something in that panel, like she had some kind of reaction. And then Rock sent the, the art in for it. And if you see that panel, Violet's face tells like, is the joke like that's yeah. where the, and you know, I didn't need it. So there's been a few times where I've been like, Oh shit, that's way funnier without, without dialogue. So I'll cut it. And now I just know when I set up the scene, like Rock and I have such a good, like creative chemistry that I just, I can already visualize how he's going to hit it. And so I know how to build those jokes up so much easier now, uh, just because of that experience of working with him. And it's one of the things too, that, um, we, we talked to, uh, James Asmus and Jim Fistante who wrote, uh, end times with Bram and Ben. 
Right. And we were talking to them about humor in, in comic books because uh, more so than the big two, uh, a lot of comics are now starting to put more humor, starting to infuse that into the into the books again, which I find so refreshing. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. it's nice to be able to read something like Rat Queens and actually laugh, you know, at something that Violet shouts or Dee does or something like that. Yeah, and it's, I mean, honestly, uh, man, I can't even. I had so many concerns about this book going into it, and I, I generally am a worrier as it is, and there were so many things I felt were, were like, kind of strikes against the comic in a lot of way. Um, we were writing a fantasy book, which in comics generally isn't a massive seller, in, you know, in general, unless it's part of an established, like, Forgotten Realms or D&D or something like that. They don't do that well. Or it's like a TNA uh, book over at Zenoscope or something. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so that, or, and then, you know, we all, there was also, um, Skullkickers was also out, and a lot of the pre, I guess, coverage of it kept on calling it Skullkickers with Women. And uh, I didn't really like that comparison. I wanted to be able to, like, stand on our own. So I felt like we were already being compared to something uh, that was already out there. And so it's like, oh, there's already, that, that market's already been filled. Uh, and then, and then on top of that was what I've called for a long time the eye roll factor, which is it's a book of four female leads in a fantasy setting, which is already it sounds like dangerous ground. But then you add to it the fact that it's written and illustrated by two men. Um, oh yeah. So I I felt like there was a lot, I, and to be honest, I I was worried that the female audience, like I really really wanted. Uh, women fans or women readers to like this book that was really important to me but I just I had this sinking feeling that they'd be like yeah right you know <laughs> <laughs> like nice well, try I'm not gonna I'm not gonna read that book because it's you know I mean if you if you look at it if you just look at a few pages I think it would be easy to just you know dismiss it as oh it's just guys trying to write sexy girls and and whatever, you know, that, that assumption that rightfully so we haven't exactly not earned that reputation as men in the industry, to be honest. Yeah. But, um, so I, there was a lot of concerns that I had. And when, when the book came out, we were also up against the sex criminals came out of the same day. Oh, uh, wow. so we were completely overshadowed by that book. So it was kind of like, I, I'm, there's a lot of, a lot of it that still surprises me that we were able to, get the success that we've we've had but i don't think it's really anything other than putting the comic out there that we've done extra the fans have been just so so fucking vocal about this book that they're doing marketing that rock and i just could never even hope to achieve <laughs> yeah because you guys do the um the google hangouts and uh the the social clubs and everything for fans to just kind of get on and talk to you and rock and or just hang out, and I, I've seen some of the cosplay, and it's amazing, like, how far people have gone already to dress up like them. Yeah, and, and I mean, so that's a perfect example of this response that we never expected, that really, honestly, it was the female fan base that embraced it right away. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Rock and I saw just, it wasn't much at first. It really wasn't. There is, like, you know, I could name them, there's a few people on Tumblr that just started posting panels from the book on Tumblr and, and then talking amongst each other. There was five or six women that were doing that. 
And then Rock and I could be like, hey, did you see that? You know, like we, of course, we follow what people are saying about the book, especially when you watch a new series, you're just, you're nervous and you want to know how, how readers feel. And so we just started inserting ourselves into that conversation. And, and then all of a sudden with the next issue, it was like 10 people were talking about it. And then the next issue was another five, you know? And so when we started doing that, then I just said to Rock, well, why don't we like, rather than just like, do this on Tumblr where we just read blog things. Why don't we actually engage the fans and like just have a chat where they can ask us questions? And that's where the Rack Queen Social Club came out of. And it really was, it's never really entered my mind. A lot of people have asked me, a lot of other creators, like, how did you come up with this, like this marketing strategy? It's working so well for you. I'm like, it was never really a marketing strategy. It was, <laughs> I literally was just like, well, we talk with these people on Tumblr. Let's just bring it to the next level. Let's just have like an hour where we sit and chat and, and then from there, we did the Emerald City after party, and and it's just kind of grown. And then this weekend, we're in New York for the uh, Queens of Burlesque, the Rack Queens launch slash burlesque show. It's, it's, just, Sweet. it's just like a matter of uh, embracing the fans that are there. The people that are doing this, this burlesque show were, again, some of the early supporters of the series, and or the early cosplayers, actually. Like, one of them was one of the first Hannahs that we saw. Um, is she the one who so did it, the um, the injured cover? Like when she yeah. tried to, Okay, I love that. It's so cool. <laughs> yeah, so it's her and her burlesque team that are doing this the show for us. So it, it was just like you know what? Why don't we just like meet these fans where they're at and and kind of fall into their worlds and and see what happens and and that's we've just I guess really encouraged the fan base to be part of this in every way possible. We we post their pictures on the Instagram, on Facebook, like we engage them in the letter section in the book. And it's, it's not really, truthfully, it's not a marketing thing. It's just, we, it's part of the Rack Queens experience, which sounds like some horrible corporate idea, but it is like, it's, I, I, I feel like with the Rack Queens, you're buying a comic, but you're also getting a small window into the people that created as well. And our personalities are very much part of the whole package. And I think that that's that's what appeals to a lot of people too, because I mean, you like you said, every everything you described about Rat Queens prior to it coming out seemed like a strike against you, you know. But it actually ended up being at the right time, like during this perfect storm of when female readers were looking for a book that they could really call their own in a lot of ways. Like we don't we don't get it as much from the the larger companies, and so to bring in a book that not only had four female leads, all with distinct personalities and visually distinct, as well as a, you know, a sense of humor to it that had a modern slant in a fantasy setting. It all, I mean, I'm just going to call it just worked. I mean, everything worked. <laughs> so. Well, and I think that really speaks to the value of good execution, Right. I mean, ultimately, you can take any idea, no matter how cliched or risque or controversial and do whatever. But ultimately, it really boils down to how well executed it is. And we can we can all agree that not every vampire story is created equal. Not every <laughs> zombie story is created equal. Not every fantasy story. Right. Is is created equal. And. I think what works for um, Rat Queens is that the execution makes sense, that these are characters that regardless of how they look or 
you know, the, the scenery, they're relatable. And I think that is what appeals to all readers, regardless of whether they're male or female or indifferent, is that they're relatable. And the more relatable that character is, the more we see ourselves in them, the more, you know, the closer we're going to be to that book. I think that's, that's something that I struggle with, with in, in so many books that are written today is that I, I pick books up and they've, the the characters have become so fantastical or just you know extreme that I just can't relate to them anymore. They're just so far beyond what I would deem normal everyday interesting personalities. Right. That's when we know Rat Queens will sold out when it's extreme Rat Queens. <laughs> <laughs> Although I yeah, do want to see like a roller derby kind of thing with them. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, that was definitely an influence. Uh, the roller roller derby culture, uh, mm-hmm. that kind of that attitude was something that we definitely looked at when we were creating it. But it's funny because this this book was something when Rock and I were first putting it together, we we really struggled on what tone it was going to be. Like, was it going to be, I mean, the attitude was always going to be there, but as far as, like, the content, we had to really dig deep to figure out, because we wanted this book to appeal to a younger female audience, and so we weren't sure if they would be cool with us, like, showing just heaps of violence and the just, like, really ridiculous cussing. Um, And you know what? We were just like, well let's just write it the way we want to do it. And if, if it finds a fan base, then that's fine. And there's, there's been a few times where I've, even I'm like, okay, I don't know if I can say that. One of the, <laughs> one, one of the lines I actually, I ran by my fiance and I ran by rock and we all kind of had this kind of pause and think about it. It was, it was the line um, where that giant troll uh, is kind of yelling at the Queens and she's like, you cunts killed my boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and then again later when when Hannah says no one calls my friends cunts but me, uh, that was one where I was like I don't know if I can use that word like that's a but again yeah. it's like it's it's that's something that if I were to meet Hannah and if I were like hanging out with her she would totally say that yeah. and so I I have I've, I basically have learned that I don't think there's really anything that's I guess too far in in that realm as long as it's true to the character. Like if Betty said that, people would be like, Whoa, 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 right? It yeah. really is it really is contextual to the character and, and I think that's really interesting. I I've, I've thought about that a lot that you know, as long as that's yeah, it's authentic to what people are expecting, um, then I think it's okay. Because it's you know, it's established that that's the that's the kind of character they are. And, and and yeah, and just even speaking of the of the latest issue as well, what I what I really enjoyed too is that you're you're starting to really dive into the friendship, like the dynamic of the friendship between the four girls. Like right. how I mean you've I mean you've definitely established it within the first arc, but it, it really feels like with issue six it's it you're starting to see like okay, they're friends, but, you know, they can also argue with each other and every reaction is based on who they are and everything, like how Hannah reacts to something and how Violet reacts to something. And and they can get under each other's skin in the way that only someone who really loves you and knows you that well can. 
you know. Yeah, and that, and that's like an important part of it is the you know the individual like showing who they are individually, but also you know they are as a dynamic. You know they don't they work together and they live together. <laughs> uh, you know, so there's bound to be issues and. You know, for the most part, they all get along, but we're starting to show that maybe Violet and Hannah don't really get along that well for the most part. And so we're, we're, we're putting all those things in, and there's very much a purpose behind it. And uh, we're trying to set up the group dynamic um, in a way that kind of, when you see them all together, you can very clearly see where they all fit within that group. Mm-hmm. And then they'll just punch Gary over and over again because he fucking deserves it. <laughs> so I'm funny. Not... That was that was supposed to just be a stupid one-off joke in the in the fourth issue, I think it was. Yeah. And, and I literally like it was the scene. So the scene was basically them. Um, what was it on the rampart? Uh, and the, and there was just like it was kind of dragging. There was, you know, it was the back and forth with the troll lady and it was like, uh, uh, you know, they're all being sassy, but I felt it was just getting stale mm-hmm. and I thought it needed just like a really absurd twist just for one panel to like kind of nail it all home. And so literally that character was just created. And, and I could probably even show you, the, you know, the, the script page, it would just be like, you know, uh, panel four, uh, just some asshole standing next to B <laughs> and who has been standing off panel the whole time. And that would be the most direction. I had no description of the character. I, you know, I just, just some idiot, you know? And, and then he, and then, and then again, I was like, later on, I was like, you know, all oh, the four Daves are there and it would be really cool for them to show up heroically. And the Daves are there to save the day. And I'm like, Oh, but it really funny if, if, if Gary was there right at the end, just to like, he's just there all the time just to irritate people. He's like, no, um, you didn't. Like, shut the fuck up, Gary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, anyway, it was just this, supposed to be this one-off joke, and he's just become a legend now amongst the, the readership, and so I knew I had to have him again. And some of the people I were asking, because, you know, at the end of issue four, we were like, you know, plus five to attack rolls against Gary. And really, I, I never planned to revisit him. He was just going to be gone. Um, so there was never, like, this thing where they were going to go back and get vengeance on him. It was just a stupid joke. And then... People were just like, well, "What happened? Like, didn't are they going to go see Gary and pay him back for what he did?" And I was like, "I, I know he's not coming back." <laughs> but, he's just a dude. But, yeah, he's like not even part. Like, he was never a plan. But but yeah, clearly I brought him back just for that that one. He's good for a a, a laugh, for a real easy laugh. You know, he's yeah. he's lazy writing is what he is. <laughs> lazy writing, but just the best kind of lazy writing. <laughs> Oh, it, it, no, it's just, it's really, like, like you said, even about the comedy and the timing and everything, I mean, the stuff with Gary, like those those little asides and everything, it also seeps into the world and makes it, it makes it more real, I guess, you know, despite it being a fantasy setting, it's, um, the way I like to describe it to people is, um, Rat Queens is kind of like the, it's the modern in the fantasy, so it's like, the, if the players of a D&D game were acting uh, you know, out their characters in the actual fantasy setting. Like, that's how it feels to me. Yeah, and it's... Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. It And, I don't know, like, when... I guess it was just, with the characters, it was always just this thing where I... Each character has, like, a bit of me in them, or a person that I wish I could be more like. And then it's also definitely influenced by people that I know. 
And I, and I also think that's kind of why people find it relatable is because everyone can see someone they know in one of those characters. And, and it's because I based it on her, on a real thing, you know, like, uh, D is, I've, you know, said a few times before D's her history, her background, like, uh, which we're going to be getting into in the next few issues. That's very much my own personal experience. And then, of course, with her being really um, anxious at, at parties and in large crowds, that's me, like, mm-hmm. hands down. We, and Rock and I are very different that way. Rock is very comfortable in large crowds. He can talk to anybody, and it's not a problem for him. And for me, it's really difficult. And You're, the, you're and, there with the book going, like, I'm engaging this book. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I would rather just you know, hide away in, in a corner and, and let everybody else have fun and I'll find my own, you know, find my own way. Um, and then, you know, like, uh, Hannah is, is someone that her personality is really abrasive and that's not anybody I would ever want to be, but her ability to stand up to people and, you know, it's very clear, uh, what her, what her boundaries are. <laughs> and I've, I need, I've, something that I've had to learn in my life is to do that, is to be able to be very firm with people who overstep their boundaries. But she's like the ultimate personification of going way too far with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Betty is just kind of like this real sweetheart, you know, like she really loves people. She loves, uh, genuinely sees good in everybody. And, you know, it's something that I, I'm cynical as I get older and I wish, I wish that I was a little bit more, you know, like there's good in everybody. I wish I could see it all the time, but you know, More drugs and sex and candy. <laughs> I guess that helps. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, Violet's just kind of, uh, I identify with her in a lot of ways too, because she's, you know, she's her past, which we've only really briefly hinted at in the first arc, but her past is that she had a lot of expectation put on her in a certain way. And she thought her life was, was defined, um, in a certain way and realize that that's not the life she wanted and, and chose a different path. And so I can relate with her on that. She's really just trying to find her own voice and her own way in the world. And I think, you know, I think that's why they're relatable is they all have these things that we see or, you know, it's like, Oh yeah, I totally have. I've had some people message me. Oh, I totally have a friend like Hannah, which is always a bit scary to me, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> You're like seriously. <laughs> yeah. That's not cool. Is it, is it harder to write um, – I mean, you always have multi-character books, but is it harder to write a story that's focused on one character where you're clearly telling the story through that single voice, or is it easy – or is it harder in a in a team book like this where you have to sort of tell the story through multiple voices and multiple perspectives? Is it Does it give you more freedom, or do you find it more difficult? Um. No, it's yeah. I mean, with with like a main a lead main character, there's a lot more that relies on uh, really, really, really knowing that single character because there's not a lot to bounce it off um, the narrative. Otherwise, like it really relies on them. Where you have more more characters, then you can get a little bit of different voice. You can play comedy or drama or you know tragedy, whatever, you can play it off of the other characters because they're going to react to it um, in their own voice, which makes it a bit easier to get that across. Um, but I mean, then there's the other side of it where like Peter Pansbrough just had way too many fucking characters. There was like a thousand characters 
that I had to like, you know, it's, you know, with Rat Queens, at least it's easy to be like, oh, well, these two characters aren't here right now. They're over there in a different part of town, and it doesn't matter. Whereas Peter Pan's house, they're they're stuck together, and they're in the middle of a war zone. If they're not there, uh, there has to be a really good reason. So that was, I really struggled with that. That was probably the most difficult was when the book was so, there were so many characters. In the first arc, I think we had five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, ten main characters, like ten. Once they all got char- together in the sticks? Uh, well, when they were getting to Fr- uh, getting to Paris, there was okay. the Darlings and Peter and all the Lost Boys at the farm. There was ten characters there. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, well, at the sticks, there would be about the same because Chief was there and Tiger Lily was there. So it was always this huge juggling game, and... It was also difficult for Tyler because there were so many scenes where he had to illustrate so many people, and that's hard. That's really hard to to balance when you're trying to give the appropriate characters screen time. And a lot of, you know, some of the reviews said, like, I just, I don't know who the different characters are. And that is a result of not being able to give enough people screen time or, or sorry, I guess page time. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, if, if that's the thing, like, with the newer with the newer arc, we it's cut right down. Uh, it's literally two characters or three now that Peter's back. Um, but of course, with the next arc, that's all going to change again. So I don't know. I, I've learned how to I've learned how to work with that, but it's it's difficult. It's difficult with a, a big cast of characters. And in Requiem's has a large cast of characters as well. But like I said before, there's not they're not usually all in the same scene together. Uh, and I'm able to move like you know in issue six we move away from the girls for a little while and we see Sawyer kind of on his own for a little bit mm-hmm. uh, I, cu- I couldn't ever really do that in Peter Panzer House because there's not really anyone else to switch to really I don't want to reveal the villains in that um, I wanted to be very focused on on Peter and the Lost Boys so but this I can move I can move around from character to character and um, it's fairly easy and I do, uh, and, and to shift gears a little bit over to, to Peter Panzerfest, because I want to, you know, sneak some of that in, too. Because um, I came into that one uh, a bit late. Like, I think you were in the middle of of Felix's uh, story, uh, his okay. arc, when I started reading. Um, and I just, uh, can, can you talk a little bit, like, how the idea for Peter Panzerfest came about? Um, it was just, uh, like, I've known Tyler... Uh, Jenkins, who is the artist on the series, I've known him for years. I, I would probably say seven years by now. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of just met, uh, you know, through happenstance and, and stayed in touch. And we always worked on, basically, on work for hire projects together. But we'd always wanted to do our own thing. And um, eventually, we were both free at around the same time. I just, I was in the middle of Green Wake, but I was wrapping it and looking to start something new, and we had talked about this idea for quite some time, In the original conversation, he had been watching um, Apocalypse Now, mm-hmm. and he was like, he guess he was all jazzed about, like, oh, you know, a war film, and he's like, oh, we should do this, but it should be, like, you know, kid guerrilla fighters, uh, <laughs> like Lost Boys in Vietnam, and I really, actually, really hated that idea. <laughs> <laughs> To be to be honest, and but it was weird because at that time I'd been doing just my a lot of, for whatever reason, just a lot of research on World War II and reading about some of the the, the real life 
characters that were speckled throughout its history. And um, I've been reading a lot about a, a woman that was named, um, or her nickname was the White Mouse, or her real name was Nancy Wake. And she's this amazing woman. I, I implore people to go read about her. Cause she's, you'd see a picture of her, and she's this gorgeous, like, 40s pinup model. Um, just beautiful. But she was one of the most, uh, well, I mean, one of the most recognized women in the war uh, for the, the resistance in France. Um, it's a fascinating story. But I, anyway, I was researching about her and, and just about the French resistance. And then... He sent me that, and I hated it, and I'm like, no, that's, that's stupid. I don't want to do that. And then I was sitting and reading and like, about the French. That was I was at the time you know, researching the French resistance, and I was like, oh, man, that it would actually work. And I started kind of taking the different ideas of, of the characters and how they could be planted into like a, a French resistance setting. And I just thought about it for a couple of days, and then I got back to him, and I said, okay, here's what I want to do. So Tyler kind of gave me the seed of the idea, and... You know, I, I don't know why I didn't like the why well, I, I do like the the Vietnam War thing was that's not a war that people will sit back and say these were the clear good and bad guys here. There's a lot of lot of shades of gray in yeah. in, in the historical lens that people see that through, and so because um, yeah, World War Two is like the last war we can really agree on who the enemy yeah. was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, there's just a lot of parallels, you know that you could take from the Peter Pan story and put in there. Um, so it just seemed to work really well. And so the whole idea became um, what would happen. You know, the whole I, the whole theme of Peter Pan is, you know, they never want to grow up, and, and it's, it's the refusal to become an adult. And, and I guess the question I'm asking is, what happens when you don't have a choice and you're forced to grow up? And the war is, you know, it forces that, that on them. And so we're, you know, that's the journey of the characters. And um, it, it's weird because Peter Panzerfaust was supposed to be, <laughs> was supposed to be a lighthearted adventure story. <laughs> <laughs> well, that turned out well. <laughs> yeah. And then basically ever since issue nine, when Captain Hook executed, uh, you know, a 15 year old kid, yeah. Uh, it's not really gone back. <laughs> yeah, it's gone. It's skewed a bit darker. Um, yeah. Uh, but I also kind of like appreciate that because you have um, with Peter Panzerfest with Rat Queens, you have two very different books. I mean, one is much. I mean, is more lighthearted in tone, and the other one is much moodier, which kind of uh, you know um, complements the settings and the time periods and everything. Um, and with Peter Panzerfest, especially, I I enjoy the narrative format that you've been doing with the uh, uh, John Parsons interviewing the former Lost Boys and basically piecing together Peter's story through them um, right. and, and through his eyes. Because the last issue, what I think was like eighteen or nineteen. Eighteen. Um, yeah. yeah, eighteen with uh, with really I think it was with Emmerich uh, kind of laying it out there, like he's telling Hook's story and then right. basically saying like that's your story. That's how your, your people look at you. And Peter just like trying to flat out refuse it. And, um, it, it, it's really, uh, fun to read and to see like those parallels kind of coming through from the original Barry story into this setting. So it's just my way of saying, I really love the book. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Well, you know, it's, um, I think when I realized that it happened earlier, the, the kind of the tonal change, when I realized 
Well, you know, in issue four, it was issue, yeah, issue four where um, one of the Lost Boys dies. Mm-hmm. Um, that was kind of like, it was kind of this thing where I knew that we would have to deal with death because it had a lot to do with what we were doing with the overall theme of, you know, that's part of being young is that you think you're immor- you're immortal and you're invincible. Mm-hmm. And um, especially when it comes to Peter's character, you know, that, that idea of, like, he's just so, he's almost foolhardy to a degree. Um, so I knew that that was coming, but I guess I didn't really expect it to shift the overall tone so much as it did. And I've, I've never really felt, yeah, I've never really regretted that because I, I feel like it has really defined the series. And um, I really get to... I guess I guess I get to do some real deep character work. Requiem is really great because it's really lighthearted, and I am doing character work. It's I am building it in. There's definitely going to be some heavier stuff coming, but we're always going to have that lightness to it as well. Uh, but you know, when you're telling a war story about children fighting, you know, in a resistance movement, it's going to be dark and. Um, <laughs> I yeah like it's it's a story that you know we're we're coming down to the last two arcs now we we're we're going to be done at issue thirty, and no. we've known <laughs> <laughs> we've known the end since we started I've, I've known the very last page since since I started, um so it's going to be weird I've talked to Tyler about this like there's going to be this kind of weird sadness when you say goodbye to those characters I've been working with them for three years you know and mm-hmm. and to kind of usher them off is, uh, that's going to be a weird experience. Um, but I, go ahead. No, I, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that it's, um, and I think too, because there's, they're younger characters and they've learned and grown so much, even in the time, you know, just, just even in my head, I, I've seen how much they've changed because of what they've experienced. It's, yeah, there's just a bit of melancholy with the story that I think it would be really weird to revert back to like this lighthearted adventure uh, as though nothing happened. <laughs> yeah, if you went to like a John Wayne type World War II movie where it's just like, well, we're just gonna go in and we're just gonna kill everyone, and then be fine. Yeah. All right, fine. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> well, I think. No, sorry, I, was, I think. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, I was just gonna say the one. It's funny because this next issue, I think. There is some kind of crossover between Rat Queens because this next issue, it's probably the most intense, like, this is the biggest battle that has ever been in in the book. Uh, it's it's basically a 24-page action sequence. Oh. Um, but it's also probably the lightest, like, especially after what happened in the last issue. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of actual jokes in there, which, there's not jokes in Peter Panzerfaust, but there's, like, yeah, there's some moments where Tyler's like, wow, this is actually funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, so I, I, I loved it with, like, Julian and um, Tiger Lily in the, I think, the beginning of the arc when they're they're getting pulled over by the Nazis and that picture of them with the, the Nazi with the bottles of wine and everything. Right. <laughs> Well, yeah, and that was that was born out of the idea that I had to. So, uh, just quickly to talk about the framing device that you mentioned earlier, there, there's definitely I, I really enjoy that as well. I, I was a big fan of Band of Brothers, um, where you know they would interview the men beforehand, and you would get to see, you know, their story after they talk about it, which is really moving. It was one of those things that just absolutely like I just at the very end the very finale when they revealed who everyone was I wept it was it was so 
powerful. Uh, but the, the flip side to that, doing that in our book, is that if you see them, you know they don't die. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really had to re- reevaluate how I can instill danger without it being the threat of death. And that was definitely one of those scenes where I, I, you know, I really wanted to build this mood that Lily was going to be like, we got to kill these guys, and but make these guys just nice guys, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and they're just there, you know, joking around. But the threat was at any moment she might have shot them dead. And so I, it was interesting because I had to really learn how to instill that sense of, of uh, dread and foreboding, but not always related to the character if they live or die. Well, and it's, and it's interesting, too, because each character has had a different approach to how they're telling the story as well. I mean... Uh, with Gilbert and, and and Julian, much more, you know, about the their their growing up and, and learning and everything, and, and Felix too. I mean, his was much more. I mean, his was much more somber, definitely, um, with it all kind of taking place in a church when he's being interviewed. Um, right. But it's it is interesting how Tiger Lilies is the one that's being essentially told through her um, her actual account as it happened. Right. Um, and was that was that a deliberate choice, um, or you just wanted to break it up? Um, well, honestly, uh, Peter Pan's was only supposed to be twenty five issues originally, and uh, we did because we did the collected hardcovers. We basically needed to have an additional arc so we could have three of them. So like, you can't just do well, you know, two and a half because mm-hmm. in each one there's ten issues, right? So. Um, Jim Valentino basically said, hey, guys, this is what I'm thinking. We would need to do 30 issues. Uh, and it's funny because after Tiger Lee made her appearance, I wanted to do more with her. I really wanted to, like, just explore her story in a much deeper way. And so this gave me the opportunity. And originally that wasn't going to be. We actually, uh, truthfully, we had, we were, we talked about, oh, actually, I totally forgot about this. The original, the original plan was, and I'd, I had already kind of like kind of fought it out and come up with an arc that was all going to be from the crocodile's perspective. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so originally that was the plan, but then I was like, man, like he's there's something we are going to be touching on, in on that character again, but there's there's something much cooler about the idea that you never really know his story like you never know what the truth is about his story he's just really bizarre we know tyler that like when he appeared like that was like the biggest fan moment of of peter pan i was just like the minute those tick 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 started i was just like oh shit i know exactly what's happening yeah (laughs) yeah well that's and that's another interesting thing too a lot of people uh were like what why is he on fire and so, I mean, that's one of the things that we've been able to play with, right, is the idea that the magic comes in the form of the memories of the men that were, that were there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we hinted very strongly that, that Felix suffered from PTSD. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of his memories are going to be, you know, they're gonna, not going to be as they probably happened, or maybe they are. And that's, that's the really good thing about that framing device as well, is that it allows us to be like, well, was it his memory or did Peter actually jump 20 feet? Did he actually fly across? And so it allows us to play with that and it allows the reader to kind of make that decision for themselves, um, which I really... What's that? Uh, Well, even with the the mermaid that showed up in the last issue, I mean, it's... 
um, how you play around, like, again, like you said, with the magic, magical aspects of Peter Pan, the, the, the things that people believe that they know about the story so well. And then you're like, well, how would you fit mermaids in? And then you do, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, and the funny thing is we actually, uh, I don't know if we've talked about this before, we actually have included the mermaids already, but they haven't been, um, it's literally one panel in the book. Uh, I think it's an issue... I think it's in issue six. Uh, if you if you look closely, there's a panel where um, oh, I can't even remember what, what actually it, it, it's hey, it's on the sign. Um, it's in French, but it basically it, it's Mermaid's Lagoon. Okay, I, yeah, I think Tyler might have mentioned this as yeah. well. Yeah, that it was kind of like it was there, but they yeah, were just they're actually going to be um, a big part of the next arc. So yeah, oh sweet. Yeah. <laughs> Well, do you, I mean, can you reveal who the next arc is going to be, perspective-wise? Uh, yeah, it's going to be the twins. Oh, nice! I was waiting for them. I was just like, when are they going to come around? Again? Yeah, well, we we know like we've yeah we've known based like so anyway back to the crocodile thing. We re, we yeah. realized we didn't want to do that because it would remove all the mystery, and um, so I was like, we 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 actually we were in uh, Las Vegas doing a signing and. We basically went for breakfast and we just talked for like an hour and a half. We figured it all out. We knew what we wanted to do. We had, you know, his, we have his whole story figured out. So we know what his background is, how he became the crocodile, all that kind of stuff. We hint at it in that, in his brief appearance that, that him and Hook have definitely met in the past. Um, but uh, after I just sat and stewed on it, I'm like, I messaged Tyler. I'm like, no, I don't think we can do it. It's not going to work. So, and immediately it was like, okay, we're going to do a Tiger Lily arc. And, um, you know, that, there, that started the influence of what happened um, at the end of, of Felix's arc as well, what happened to her father and everything like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so she was just kind of inserted into the story. And so I had to come up with a way to have her tell her story uh not in person because it would be weird that she would never have mentioned any of those things to uh, John Parsons when he was there originally. Mm-hmm. Um, so it needed to be something that she would never speak about again. Yeah. And so the the journals was the way I could do that. And it also is, is a nice, nice way to hear Lily because um, she's very closed off. She doesn't say a lot really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. it was a, it was a way to hear her voice and I, and I'm, Lily is honestly my favorite character in the in the series. I absolutely love writing her, and I just think she's just beautiful. The way Tyler draws her, I just I love her a lot. Yeah, he did a he did a cover for me um, at Emerald City, which is Julian and uh, Tiger Lily. I think standing at her father's grave, and it's, it's gorgeous. I mean, uh, as it always is. But yeah, they're they're I love their their. Uh, Marriage. I love their relationship. I think that they're just kind of awesome characters. And they work well off of each other. I mean, I, I think I said it in one of the, my reviews that Julian wants all the information, whereas Lily is the one who's just going to take what she needs and then right. react. Right, exactly. They're very different that way. Yeah, but they work out well. <laughs> so, obviously, yeah, exactly. they stay married this long. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> Um, that would be, so are you planning on doing, you're going to introduce more of the crocodile, but not like in the, in the sense of the narrative format. 
Yeah, no, he'll show up. He'll show up, I think, a few more times um, throughout the neck of the last ten issues. Um, in the yeah, in the, in the fourth or the fifth and the sixth arc. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so he'll show up, and it'll always be kind of. Well, I mean, if you think, look at think of his appearance in the even like the Disney film or in the book, mm-hmm. um, he just kind of shows up here and there, right? He's not. Yeah. He's basically there, and and that's the only thing that Hook's afraid of. Yeah. It's... So that's <laughs> definitely a part of our story. It's the only thing that the Hook fears in our book. Yeah, and it's. I mean, uh, yeah, like I, I was telling Tyler. I mean, just the 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 full splash page of the croc was just enough to you're just like oh my god it's so perfect <laughs> like it just it works I mean the, and and that's the thing you know taking these characters who are so a part of a specific genre of, of fantasy and then putting them in this real world situation uh, real world uh, setting um, it's so surprising how much it fits and how much it works and you know it, it you know kudos to you for doing that too oh thanks i appreciate that yeah i guess the ultimate mystery is whether or not peter is actually alive at the end of this isn't it <laughs> i have no idea what you're talking about i don't know either it's just uh, one of those things that you just throwing out there i mean you don't have to say anything because i can't see your face but if you're blinking right now <laughs> <laughs> well that's that's part of the mystery i suppose yeah. Like Tyler laughed several times for yes, and that like, laughed no times for no. Like, yeah. Well, uh, well, well, people will have to wait twelve more issues, I guess. Damn you. <laughs> Savor it. It's always sad when a book ends. I just. That's why I don't want it to end. It has to go on forever, you know, like the war did. No. <laughs> well, we we kind of talked about doing, I guess, spinoff series like. This was before we did this arc with, because uh, well, I said I wanted to do another Tiger Lily thing. We talked about doing a Tiger Lily focused just five issue thing, but um, we, I mean, Tyler and I have talked a lot about this, and we've had a very, very defined vision from the very beginning. And I feel it would feel very strange to just extend it just for the sake of more story when we we know where their journey begins and where it ends. So. Yeah, it's it's like I said, it's gonna be I think sad to to end the series, but I think like I'm actually in, in a lot of ways really excited about it because I cannot wait to write that final that final script. I I've been building towards it for three years of my life, so <laughs> it's something that I'm absolutely excited about and and sad about at the same time, if that makes sense. No, it, it totally does. I mean, especially if you have a if you have a clear vision of, of how you see it ending and that you're getting closer and closer to it, just like, OK, OK, now it's now it's going to happen. And uh, um, I, I mean, do you, are you approaching Rat Queens in the same way where you have like a, a an idea of how you want to end it or are you just kind of going with the flow on this one? No, that the Rat Queens is there's no real end because it's basically Rock and I have said that as long as we feel we're doing something new with the characters um, and that it's not like retreading old ground and that they're continuing to grow and be interesting, we'll do it. And as long as there's a fan base for it, right? Like if people, yeah. if people suddenly just fucking hate it after this arc, then well, maybe, maybe we need to consider other options. But but uh, yeah, we don't. There's things that we've we're planning, we're, we're putting the seeds in now, like in the first six issues already, 
that are going to pay off like big storylines 40 issues from now. So there's, there's a lot of big plans that we have. Um, I mean, I'm just really impatient. I, I don't want to do all the middle stuff. I just want to get there. Yeah. <laughs> I can totally relate to that one. Yeah. Why so. is it happening now? Yeah, um, exactly. And is it, I mean, is it one of those things where once Peter is, is done, I mean, do you like working on two books at the same time or would it be like more kind of like um, uh, more helpful for you to just focus on one story or are you the type that just has to keep writing something else? Um... Well, I've got like three other pitches going right now, so. Ah. Um, Question. I, <laughs> yeah, like when I, I, I've always been. So when I when I first broke into, I guess the more mainstream with Image, um, I did it with two books, because then Trappers and Greenway came out a month apart from each other, yeah. uh, and basically ever since then I've done at least two. Uh, in 2012, I was doing three at the same time, and I was also working a full-time job as well. Oh God! That, that was that was a bit much, and I will never do that again. But um, as far as like my own personal comics, like I would always like to be doing at least two. It's really good for kind of if I need to escape one of those books. Like another one, another book that I'm pitching is very. Um, I, it's basically like Green Wake tone in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's going to be even heavier and darker than Peter Pan's profile. So I, I would need something to balance that off of. Um, Green Wake went out. There was a period for about three or four months that was the only book I was writing, and it was it was hard. Uh, not not to write, but just it really affected my emotional life a lot because I was living oh. in that world. And it it you get. I was also working through some shit in that time as well, but it was very. Uh, you just kind of get isolated in those feelings and you put yourself in that headspace for too long and it can affect you. So it's nice to have another project that is completely dissimilar in tone. Mm-hmm. That's cool. No, I mean, um, it's, it's nice to just keep busy too, you know, just to have uh, something that you're always kind of working on and uh, something you can share with other people too. I think that's really awesome. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd rather be doing more than less, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> My dad always accused me of being of, of being too busy. So like, you're just putting too much on your plate. It's like, yeah, because I want to have the stuff to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you can sort of tell, I mean, you can tell when a, when a writer gets too lost in the story um, because it, it begins to become difficult for the reader to follow, right? I... I think to some extent, um, and, and even even when I, I, and I've, I've written and I've had to write darker stories or stories where I knew um, I was building to something really tragic, and the more you get to that that moment where you're building to that really tragic moment, the like more you even, you even as the writer begin to dread its coming. And it can make you sort of lose the forest for the trees, right? Mm. So, um, and of course, no matter how much you you go back and revise it, that will bleed through to the reader. So I think it's good also to break it up because it keeps it keeps that from overwhelming the reader as much as the writer. Yeah, and I mean, Green Wake was definitely it was a weird book. Like it was very weird. Um, it. it yeah, there was a lot. I mean, it was originally supposed to be. Uh, I had at least another ten issues planned for it to wrap everything up, but the sales were really bad on it, so we had to cancel it. But 
Um, that was a book that just had so it was mostly a book of metaphor um, that I just I like I yeah it was very easy to get lost in like what was the motivation in it and um, especially like near the end when I was starting to kind of come out of my slump and I was like my life was starting to get a lot better it was it was hard to remember why I was writing it and it, in a lot of ways it was good to. Uh, I guess for it to be canceled because I probably wouldn't have been able to really understand where I was going before um, just because it was so connected to an experience that I was going through at the time that I was getting over. So in a lot of ways it was like my therapy to get through it was to write this story and, and to get all those feelings out in that, in that, in that space. And then once I left that space to look back on it, I, I still look back on it and, and I can see, I'm just like, Christ, I, I needed to go to a therapist. What was I doing? <laughs> the writing's the best therapy, isn't it? <laughs> oh, man, I don't know. I don't know. It, it, it can be. It can be in a lot of ways. But it's at the same time, like, you know, like we were saying, it's you can get lost in it. And um, I, I still think Green Wake is probably one of the most personal things I've ever written. And I think anybody that knew me, going through that time or knows me now and knows the story of what I was going through at that time. They understand it in a way. Probably most people don't. Um, they can see the metaphor that's in there. And um, yeah, but like if for anybody else, I mean, we do have like, there's kind of a cult following around that book and I understand because it's, it's so bizarre. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's definitely a weird experience. If, if you're a fan of mine, you read rat queens, <laughs> Uh, you can read that book. You would not even know it was me, um, which I, in some ways I'm kind of proud of that I, I've been able to write all these different kinds of stories. But I think some of the, the readers might be a bit shocked. Change that voice. Well, it, it it doesn't help that well, it does help. But Riley Rossmo's art is just gorgeous on its own. So uh, to, to yeah. bring that stuff to life too. And we and we actually lived and when we did the first volume, we lived in the same city, so we would get together routinely and it was it was weird because we would have um you know I was going through the breakup of my marriage but so we would go out for coffee to talk just as friends but that would always bleed over into talking about what was happening next in the story mm-hmm. so there was just this weird line where like we would talk about my personal life and that would just fuse with our conversations and so I think we would both walk away from those meetings and like have some kind of weird inspiration as to what we were going to do next and Riley would always be you know right after we would meet he would be just sketching like he's always drawing something and he would just send me a page of like monsters or uh, scenes or things that you know clearly were inspired just from what we had talked about and uh, so it was this probably one of the, I think, in a lot of ways, most um, rewarding creative experiences that I've had because of that. It was very deeply connected to my friendship with Riley. And it was it was something that I've never really experienced since then. And I have a wonderful working relationship with Tyler and Rock, but I'm also in a much better place in my life right now. Whereas okay. like Riley was kind of, Riley and Greenwick were kind of that escape that, you know, I was, I was running away from things. And so it was much more personal. Um, and I, yeah, I, I definitely, I still look back in that book sometimes and, and, uh, it's still hard for me to read actually, even years later. 
when you do a, a you do a lot of um, blogging as as well, like with your because uh, you know I, I don't want to dive too much into your personal life. I mean, you already you you kind of put it out there anyway for people to read. <laughs> yeah, but I mean it. Just from someone who um, has been going through anxiety issues, you know, herself, you know, reading your essay on uh, on on how you dealt with anxiety, or even seeing your your essay on anorexia and everything, I think that um, I, I just want to say thank you for doing those kinds of things, you know, for for putting those words out there for people to read, because not many people would go to that length, you know, to to put those pieces of themselves out there. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that uh, you know people are reading it. It's weird because, uh, like, especially with the body issue, the body image thing. You know, I, I did write an article on my own struggle with anorexia, and it's it's funny because I am a bigger guy, but you know, body issues isn't relegated just to being really skinny or being really overweight. It's mm-hmm. it's an internal mental struggle, and it's something that. I've I've always really struggled with and I've really not been able to define until very recently and I had this like really just kind of light bulb moment and like looking back what all what contributed to all of those feelings and I'm like I have to write this down and originally it was just I just wrote it because I was I needed to get those thoughts down on that on the journey and how I got there because I knew I had, I had struggled with anorexia but I never understood how it happened and I've never really thought about it and like to that degree so I wrote it all down and I was just like you know what I bet you there's people out there that have the same thoughts and have never been able to really figure out what it means so I posted it and you would not believe the number of private messages I got on like Facebook and and email from friends like male friends of mine that admitted to me that they also had a similar struggle and it blew my fucking mind it was <laughs> i just could not even have been prepared for the the people in my life that that said yes i've also struggled with this. because like you know you look you always feel like you're the weird one like you've got all these yeah. these fucking weird idiosyncrasies that just make you this mess of a human being and you look you look to all your friends and like, well, you know, they, you know, they've got issues, but they've mostly got things together. They don't think about, you know, they don't think about their shirt on them and are constantly pulling at their shirt or they're not, you know, that's not something that they do. And then to find out, oh, actually a lot of the people I know also struggle with some similar things. And, and it's, there's something freeing about that. And same, the same thing with the anxiety, you know, I that was a post that I wrote in response to somebody's Tumblr saying that they were, really they were really excited about going to a convention but they were really scared um because they have anxiety and i was just like man i fucking know and it's just something that (laughs) i have to learn to to cope with like i have to do it it's part of my job and i had to i had to learn how to be able to engage it on my terms and that's also where that came from so it's it's just something that i feel it kind of defines my voice as a writer i was talking to my fiance about this the other day that you know, a lot of people define their work by uh, the genre that they write. You know, some some authors stick to, you know, gritty crime. Some authors stick to horror, and, and they stay in that genre. And I, I don't really do that. I don't really stay in any genre. I kind of hop around, and I don't think my voice is def- as a writer is defined by necessarily the comics that I write. It, I think it's more who I am as a person and what I, what I bring to the work and to the people that read my work. And I think it's that honesty as a, as a human 
Uh, I think that's what I, I would like to be my legacy. That's what I would like to be what people, when they think of my work, they don't think of necessarily, you know, oh, he does funny fantasy books, he does horror books. It's like he writes really honest things, and I think that's something that I, I always want to strive for. And, and with that, I actually think that's a really good note to go out on because we've been going for an hour and a half now. <laughs> um, but I mean, I couldn't think of a better way to to end it actually because that was very beautiful. I really enjoyed that. Well, um, I, I actually I planned that because that was my exit. So. Oh, good. You <laughs> you were planning that out like three arcs ahead. And <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so you don't work in just one genre. Um, he even makes podcasts his own. Um, yes. <laughs> But uh, so I, I really want to thank you, Curtis, for coming on uh, and for you know indulging us in in your mind uh, and your work as well. Um, where can people find you online? And anything you want to plug, go ahead too. Um, well, you can find me on Twitter, Curtis J Weeb, and my website is just curtisweeb.com. Um, I also recently opened a store. If you go to my website, there's a link there to my store. So I actually decided I've got so much shit floating around my house, I need to get rid of it. I'm having a baby, and there's too much junk already, so got to get rid of this stuff. So I have a, I sell my books, um, shirts, so like the Rat Queen shirts. I have all the kind of stuff, so you can do that there. And, yeah, the Rat Queen uh, merchandise is really awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's actually at ratqueens.com. That's the ladies' merch that my fiance is running, and she's doing a really good job of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and uh, I guess... Uh, if you can go to my Facebook, I guess it's not. I don't really post on there a lot. I really try to should try to do more. Um, but really, I'm mostly active on like the Rackings Facebook page. That's where I do a lot of work there. So you know, Facebook.com/slash Uh Yeah, that's about it, really. Um, I Curtis, thank you so much for coming on, and JP, thanks for joining me as well. Uh, thanks for having me. Yes, yes. Uh, and. Bye-bye.